Good morning. The title of the sermon today is Until Christ is Formed in You. Until Christ is Formed in You. While you're writing that down, first, thank you. Is this kind of echoing weird? Does that sound weird? Okay. I was just didn't know if it was in my head. Sometimes things happen in my head that don't happen outside of it. So, no. Um, so thank you for uh, Uncle Wes for introducing uh, Paulo and our sister Caitlin from the baptisms last week. Get to know them if you haven't. Uh, say hello to them. Uh, seek them out. Uh, I also want to remind you that we have a children's, our children's choir is going to be up here in two weeks, I believe. Is it two weeks or next week? Is that next week, Nick? Children's choir? Yes, not two weeks, my bad. This coming Sunday. So uh, our children's choir and catechism, Keiki, will be up here uh, leading us in congregational worship. And man, I was very blessed last time, and I am very excited uh, to see it again. So thank you, Mike Hennigan, wherever you are. I'm scanning. There you are. I see you. Uh, and then Kelly McCready for your hard efforts uh, in that um, and then, yes, deacon nominations are this week, so I do want to encourage you, if you will, if you are a member, to submit your deacon nominations. We are taking them now, so uh, that is really important as part of our realignment uh, with a biblical pattern of ministry and soul care. So I'm very excited about it, and uh, we look forward to seeing who you have nominated. Finally, a few of, of you have wondered, uh, man, when are we going to get back into Revelation? When are we going to get back into the book of Revelation? If you missed it, uh, we are in Revelation chapter 7. That's where we're going to pick back up in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, specifically, we're going to be asking the question, what is the nature of the relationship between the church and Israel? Because it's really important to hammer that out at this point uh, in Revelation uh, and so we're going to be trying our best to do that, but we will begin that again mid-February, probably the second week of February. We're going to begin that again uh, mid-February. Why, you ask? Well, because I don't, uh, we're going to have our church plant launch, and then we have a few more things coming up there, so I don't want to start it and then stop it again and then start it again. So, so in, in the meantime, we're, we're covering some uh, passages topically for things that are important in the life of the body. So today, that takes us to Galatians 4, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. Specifically, in context, this is, let me just say, this is not going to be an exposition proper of the text. So our normal pass method of Scripture is to walk verse by verse, book by book, uh, with an eye to the aim of the author, and that is still the case here, but it's not going to be a, a full exposition proper this morning as we would normally do. Um, what I want to do is get very, very practical, is to get very practical. Uh, two weeks ago, we spoke on how you are changed to become more like Christ. How you are changed to become more like Christ. That was the last Sunday of 2018 that we did that from Colossians 2. Today, and there we laid the foundation, the, the framework, if you will. Today, I want to get very, 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 very practical with you on how we actually change how that plays out in the day-to-day -day and the here and the now. So that's what we're going to do today. In context of Galatians 4, Paul has been writing to the Galatians. He's actually quite upset. He's, he's pretty angry. We have every reason to believe the epistle to the Galatians, the letter. It's the only letter in the New Testament that is absent of a thanksgiving. There's no Thanksgiving section in Galatians. Paul goes straight into rebuke. I'm surprised, he says, at how quickly you have abandoned the gospel. And they are turning again to works of the flesh, of 
the law, to, see, to seek to make them, to earn right standing to God. And so Paul was upset and he was particularly concerned that they would not return to their prior practices of living, that they wouldn't return to the old manner of life and wouldn't be governed by worldly principles that characterized them before they came to Christ. He was also concerned that they wouldn't strive to find acceptance with God through a return to the law, but rather that they would remain in the gospel initially preached to them, the gospel that they are saved by grace alone through faith alone, and in so doing that they would be transformed into the image and likeness of Christ by daily walking in the Spirit of Christ. So that's a a very brief overview, if you will, of the book of Galatians. Today, I want to pick up where he says, I am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I want to talk about how practically do we become more like Jesus. Sound good? So let's do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven. I do long to see Christ formed in my own heart more than he is, to see Christ's mind take root in my mind, to see the image of Christ increasingly reflected in the body of Christ at Kahului Baptist Church. Father, may you continue to increase anguish in my soul until that happens. May you increase anguish in all of our soul until Christ is formed. And Father, we know that this will not happen through the works of the flesh. I can't just try harder and do better and do more. But only, only as I turn from our sin, as we turn from our sins and trust in Christ daily, daily abiding in Christ, will this be possible? And we know it is possible because you have promised that we would be conformed into the image of the Son. And so would the Son get much glory this morning as he is proclaimed and as your people walk in increasing holiness in 2019? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you ready? Here's a big idea. Here's a big idea. All of life is a theater meant to display the object of your worship. All of life is a theater meant to display the object of your worship. Do you think about that? Everything you do, every minute of every day, is a worship moment, we could say. You are either going to worship God or you are going to worship something else. And what I want to do is get very practical with the how to cultivate this God-centered worship in your life so that you are displaying and delighting in God as you were intended to. So how do you cultivate this God-centeredness in the nitty-gritty day-to-day when you go to work and, and you're at home or doing whatever it is you're doing to display this God-centeredness? How do you cultivate that in your life? And I have a list of six biblical practices for you to consider sharpening or perhaps beginning this year to help you be conformed to the image of Christ. A list of six biblical practices, you could call them disciplines, to consider sharpening or to begin, perhaps, to help you be conformed to the image of Christ. First, a caution. A caution. Anytime we give lists, the old legalist in our heart says, yes, I can do this. I can check this box. I can do this. And inevitably, we will fail. 
to do these things, and then we will fall into despondency and despair, or generally after we've slid into pride and judgmentalism, because look at how much godlier I am because I do all of these things, and clearly, I mean, Raymond, he doesn't, I do more than Raymond, you know, he's, he's a bum. <laughs> Raymond's not a bum, he's great. I can pick on Raymond. Thank you, Raymond. But anytime we give a list, we must remember there's a danger of legalism for sure. There's also a danger in the other end of the spectrum, which is the, I'm just going to let go and let God. If I'm justified by faith alone through grace alone, and there's nothing I can do to earn a right standing with God or to make him love me more than he already does in Christ, then all I need is to look to Christ and to rest, and, and he'll do the rest, and I don't need to do anything. So if I continue to snap at my wife, if I continue to struggle with lust, if I continue to be lazy at work, if I continue to do all these things, it's really because God hasn't worked in me, and I'm just going to look to Jesus and wait for him to do the rest. Do you see? That is an error on the opposite side of the spectrum. What we want is grace-enabled effort purchased by the blood of Christ and a result, it is applied to our life as a result of our, here's a big word, I spoke about it two weeks ago, as a result of our justification in Christ. So our being declared righteous in Christ purchased for us all the benefits of our sanctification, which is being conformed into the image of Christ. And so all of our salvation from start to finish, we will look back one day and say, that was all God. That was all God, and he gets all the glory for it. In the here and the now, we have and we desire grace-enabled effort. So I have six things, right? So that's the caution. So let's get into, I gave all that uh, two weeks ago. So if you're like, man, he's just given law. He's not doing any of these things. Where's, where's the gospel in this? Remember, this is a part two to the part one. So if that's what you feel your heart doing this morning, go listen to that. And I spent almost the whole sermon on the foundations for that. And now I just recapped it, all right? So don't hear me saying just do more. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm giving you is biblical means that God gives us, the believer, and to how we can cultivate a God-centeredness in all things. So number one, we're going to move quickly. Talk with God. Talk with God. This is the foundation. This is the bedrock. How do we talk with God? First, we listen to Him. How do we listen to God? We read His Word. We read His Word Many people have problems in relationships because they talk more than they listen. They talk more than they listen. As a result, you don't hear what the other person is saying. This is true with God as well. Many times we talk more than we listen. Daily Bible reading, I would encourage you, is a means to forming the mind of Christ, and it raises the awareness that all of life is lived in the presence of God. So why do you read your Bible every day? As a means to forming the mind of Christ so you can know how did Christ respond in a situation? How does Christ think about a certain subject or topic or circumstance? How ought I to respond in an example, as a follower of his? It's forming the mind of Christ and it also raises a daily awareness that all of life is in the presence of God. And so God speaks to us through his written word, by his spirit. Through his word, by his spirit. We want to read the Bible for both breadth and depth. I'm going to cover this one a little bit quickly because we speak a lot about scripture reading and it's important for good reason. But we read it for breadth, that is scope. You want to read all of the Bible, but also for depth. You don't want to just skim the top. You want to go deep in the Word as well. So your scripture reading plan should have both uh, breadth and depth in it. We read the Bible daily. I would encourage you. Why? Because we are so very forgetful, aren't we? We forget. We forget simple things like our phone numbers. You ever forget your phone number? Is there anybody here who doesn't know their phone number? A few, right? Yeah, there's a few. 
your phone number, you forget the names of your children. Anybody who has multiple creatures living under their house will cycle through all the names of your children at some point. Scarlet, Tice, Pounce, whoever you are, go. Children's names, we forget our age. How old am I? Somebody just asked me. Sometimes we even forget what we were saying (laughs) mid-sentence. What were we talking about again? Yeah, right? I'm learning the beginning of this. It's awful. If we forget these things, how much more the essential character of God, the manifold blessings every day that he gives us, his immediate presence in our daily lives. We read because we need a daily, minute, hour-by-hour reminder that all of life is lived in the presence of God. So read. Underneath that one, talking with God, would be meditate and memorize. Meditate and memorize. So we spoke about our fighter verses. Uh, Man, I'm so encouraged by Grandma Dottie. She's here today over here in this wonderful, purple, warm, fuzzy sweater thing. Looks so good. Can you wave, Grandma Dottie? Can you wave? All right. She is a beautiful saint. Uh, The Bible would say she is advanced in years. I like that. It's a good phrase. She's advanced in years, uh, increasing in holiness. And I went to visit her a few weeks ago before she moved. I went to visit her a few weeks ago, and I I read a psalm with her. I was going to read a psalm with her and pray for her. And as I started to read the psalm from my Bible, do you know what she started to do? She started quoting it. She started quoting it with me. In that moment, who encouraged who? I was sharpened, I was challenged, I was blessed. I want to commend to you to strive to hide God's word in your heart no matter your age. Start small, start somewhere, but you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to others. Strive to memorize. Read the Bible, but I also want to encourage you to meditate on the Bible. I want to encourage you to meditate on the word of God. Meditation, if you want to know what it is, how do you do it? It's like taking a verse of passage into your soul and making tea out of it. Like taking a verse or passage into your soul and making tea out of it. Now, my brother Diego back here, Diego, wave your hand. Yes, Diego is a great guy. He's awesome. Uh, Get to know him. He came in this morning with a cup of tea, hot water and a tea bag in there, and it was steeping. And, and as it was in there, the, the, the tea just infused. You could see the color going off into his drink. It was infusing into the liquid around it. This is meditation. You steep your mind in God's word until it is permeated with it. Amen. I encourage you to not just read your Bible, but meditate on it. Find every day in your reading a different word or, or a phrase or use our fighter verse. There's a lot of methods for this. And meditate on the Word of God. How do you do that? Well, you can rewrite the verse in your own words. You can emphasize a different word in the text. Fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 41, right? I'm just going to use that. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Who is with me, right? You're just emphasizing a different word, or you can rewrite it in your own words. Think of an illustration that explains it. You can ask questions about the text to help you memorize it. How does Isaiah 41.10 relate to the law or the gospel? And as you try to answer that question, you're going to be meditating on that text. How does it relate to the law or the gospel? What does this text teach me about Jesus? As you think through that, you're going to be meditating. Hmm, how does this teach me about Jesus? What should I do in response to this text? It can cause you to meditate on it. So I encourage you, meditate on the Word, and then in response of God talking to you, what do you do? You talk to Him. Luke 18.1, Jesus says this, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. What is prayer? Simply, it is talking to God. But it's important to remember, prayer functions best 
when it is a conversation that you are responding to that you didn't start. Prayer is responding to a conversation that you did not start. Who started it? God started it. And he spoke to you through his word. He revealed some aspect of himself through his word, and then you respond in prayer by talking back to him about it. You see? And so, you ought to pray in private and in public. You want to pray in response to God in private and in public. You should set a time and a place to pray. This can vary with different seasons. The amount of time can vary with different seasons. Yes, you can pray constantly. We're told to do that. Pray without ceasing. Be constant in prayer. You want to do that. You should also have times of focused prayer as a means to facilitating your random prayers. Get your war room, if you will. It doesn't have to be a room, it could be a chair, it could be a, a walk through the track or around the track or wherever, but, but have a set time where you are focused in conversation with God. Prayer in public. In public. I want to encourage you, if you are not involved in a home-based small group or you do not regularly attend Wednesday, so those two things, right? You don't regularly attend Wednesday night prayer group. You're not involved in a home-based small group. I want to challenge every member this year in 2019. Here's a challenge for you. Make it a point to come once a month to Wednesday night prayer night and pray for the body and pray for the needs of the church. Once a month. Why do I say if you're not involved in a home-based small group? Because the home-based small groups have built into their DNA prayer extended periods of prayer once a month that all those who partake in them do. But if you aren't involved in one of those, I encourage you, make it a point to come on a Wednesday night and pray intentionally, led by Pastor Jim, who does an incredible job, and pray for the body. Pray for them, and you will find your soul blessed and that you also learn how to pray. I encourage you to pray with a pattern. Pray through the Lord's Prayer, perhaps. Learn the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Pray with a pattern. You could also use other ones like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication as a pattern to pray and pray with lists. Pray with lists. A lot of people struggle with prayer because we don't know how to pray. This, the way I pray, was taught to me. Uh, it's not original to me. It was taught to me, and it was very helpful. Uh, I do vary from this from time to time, but this is the mainstay. I start with the neediest person I know. Who's that? Me. Start with the neediest person I know and work my way out. Lord, help me not to fear. Help me not to fear man. Help me not to fear what may come. Help me to trust in you. Help my heart to be steadfast in you. Help me to trust in you like Abraham trusted in you. Willing to just, right? I just start with the neediest person I know and work out. Then it goes to my wife. She's the second neediest person I know because she has to worry about me. Then I start with my children and then my extended family, and then my elders, and then the deacons, and other ministry leaders, and then our staff, and then it just keeps going out from there, church family, people I long to see come to know Jesus, various ministries, the BCCM, the preschool, the Maui Rescue Mission, our state, our local uh, government offices, and things of that nature, and at that point, I need lists to remember, because I won't be able to. Pray. Find some way to pray that works for you, and do it. That's just what I do. And I want to encourage you to persevere in those things. Don't give up. Following Jesus is a lifelong endeavor. The way you follow him now, you will grow in doing so in 20 years. Amen. Don't give up if when you read the Bible, it doesn't make a ton of sense to you. Don't give up. It is almost like learning a new language. Children go through a stage of infancy where they're hoo gah and then they, then they go to caveman stage where they speak and they know what they're saying, but nobody else does. Oh, he wants his water, it's too hot, you know, or whatever, right? 
That's what, exactly what it means, right? Then they go through that, and then there's another stage where they're proficient in communicating with you, and you can have a conversation, right? So it is in the Christian life. Don't be discouraged. You are growing. And as you press in and as you persevere, I think you'll find the lyrics of the hymn to be true, the song, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. So persevere in these things. That's number one, talking to God. Number two, I'm going to go very quickly on this one, hunger for God. Hunger for God. I want to come in to you to build in fasting as part of your spiritual regimen, periods of fasting. Jesus said that his will was to do, his food was to do the work of the Father. In response to Satan's temptations, he quoted Deuteronomy and the law. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Fasting is one way to cultivate a hunger for God in your heart. In a broad sense, it can be defined as a voluntary denial of a normal function like eating for the sake of intense spiritual activity. One pastor said, only as we voluntarily embrace the pain of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. Close quote. Only as we embrace the pain voluntarily of an empty stomach do we see how much we've allowed our belly to be our God. If you want more details on fasting, I preached a sermon on this. I'll preach another one again later. It's called Fasting, a Banquet for the Soul fasting, a banquet for the soul on Matthew 6. You can check it out on our website, kahaluibaptist.com. But I encourage you to make it part of your spiritual disciplines. Number three, writing for God. So number one is talk to God. Number two, hunger for God. Number three, writing for God, writing for God, not writing. Some guys are like motorcycles, Harleys. Yes, writing for God. I like that discipline. No, writing, writing for God. This is a spiritual discipline of journaling, and it has blessed many believers. This is the one I struggle with the most because I am a lefty living in a right-handed world. Uh, I was taught how to write like a right-hander, and man, just this whole, it's just, it's just not a pleasant thing. I like typing. Um, I have typed as a journal, but it just, it's still different, you know? You like the sensory of writing. But a case could be made that a significant number of the psalms would be akin to a modern-day journal entry where the psalmist is pouring out his heart to God or Jeremiah the prophet in the book of Lamentations under the inspiration of the Spirit is just pouring out his soul's cry to God, weeping at the destruction of his people, of his city. Journaling, while it's not commanded in the Scriptures, has been widely practiced throughout church history by some very heavy hitters. Think of Augustine, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, many others. You could just add to that list. If you think of some Charles Spurgeon, whoever you want to think of, they probably journaled. And it was really as a means to help them meditate on the Word of God and to record their findings for future reference. When this is done out of an overflow of your reading and praying with God, it can, it can cement the conversation you had in your heart and your mind for a very long period of time. For a very long period of time. You can journal either for your own reflections and thoughts in the Scriptures. A secondary benefit of this is for your family when you die. You think, well, I don't want my family to read about my thoughts and, and darkness and things like that. Consider, all of us have dark thoughts and seasons of life. What a gift to our children, if you should choose to journal, that whereas they may never read a book from John Piper or Martin Luther, they might not ever read some influential book that was written by somebody they don't know, they very well may read yours. And when they see mom and dad, oh man, thinking through things, through the gospel and wrestling in their heart, what a treasure that can be. I've read of 
people, many generations even, being impacted for the gospel, being saved after reading journals from their great-grandfather. What an incredible testimony that can be. So journaling. Journaling can also be a means to help you clarify your thinking. In my brain, I can say like 10,000 things at one time. Right? You're just process, process, process. When you write, it's one word at a time, isn't it? It forces you to think and to clarify what's going on in here. And that can be very helpful. It can also be a means to fight habitual sin. Everybody have a sin that they struggle with regularly on an ongoing basis? You just, you, you, I hate this sin, and then I struggle with it, and I repent, and then I do it again, and I, right? And it's just a cycle, and you're like, when will I ever get victory over this? Journaling can be a means of mapping out the enemy's strategy and how he is effectively overcoming your defenses against it. So in this regard, you could keep a a type of journal or log. When did I struggle with this sin? When was the last time I was tempted to look at this? Why or what circumstances attended that? What was I thinking at the moment? How did I give in to that sin? What truth do I need to shore up that area? And so it becomes a very strategic means to fight sin and overcome it. If you don't do this, and those hard-to-get-rid-of-sins, if you don't do this, you can find yourself succumbing over and over again, forgetting old lessons, trying the same old things, and getting the same old results. When I was a police officer, we'd go down to the range, and we would shoot and practice, and you'd shoot at your target from however far you were at, and then you would go up to the target, and you would inspect it, and you would want to see, where did I hit? Did I hit the bullseye? But more than that, as you grow and as you learn as an officer, you're you're doing more than just looking, did I hit the bullseye? You're also asking, why didn't I? Was I, oh, my shots are down here to the left. Was I squeezing the gun too hard? Was I slapping the trigger instead of squeezing it? Was I anticipating the shot and flinching and, right? All these types of things. Was I aiming correctly? And you start to, to, to dissect what was I doing so I can do it better. A journal can really help you to do that. What was I doing when I responded this way? How come I gave in? How can I do it better in order to grow? So writing to God. Number four, get alone with God. Get alone with God. This is the spiritual discipline of solitude, of solitude. What is that? What is solitude? We talk a lot about community, how you need the body of Christ and not to be isolated. So what is this discipline of solitude? Solitude is temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. It's important. Temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. Now this, type, this time of solitude could be a few minutes 20 minutes maybe, 30 minutes if you're just starting out, or for a few days, a weekend, seven days. Generally, it's sought in order to engage in the other spiritual disciplines without the daily distractions that so often set us aside. Mark 1.35, And rising very, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Matthew 14, 23, this is just one, these are just two of many. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He was there alone with God. So we get this pattern from, this practice from Jesus himself, who made regular patterns of being alone with God for extended periods of time. So I want to encourage you to plan, perhaps, you could say, if you haven't done this for a while, maybe once a quarter or twice a year. Once a quarter or twice a year, take a couple hours, two hours, four hours, and get alone with God for the purpose of practicing the other disciplines at length. 
And here's what you're going to find. See, these things interplay on one another. It's not like just read your Bible or just pray. When you, when you do the whole package, that feeling that you find of, man, when I read the Bible, I just don't see anything. I don't sense anything. I don't, I don't feel like I feel like I should feel. <laughs> when you do this whole package, you might find your soul stirred afresh to behold the wonders of God's Word. So take a couple hours, let's just say four hours, bring a Bible, a journal, a good book, and some music, and see what good this does to your soul. When, when I do this, I tend to find a place where I'm hiding, I go into hiding from, from the world as I know it, only Brit knows my location, and only Brit can contact me, um, she has the wife hotline, and, and and I go into hiding. I go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where I go because then you'll know my hiding spots. Um, I go into hiding and, and I take time and we, we do this and we pray and it is, a, it is an incredible time with the Lord. And then if you have a spouse, do you know what you do? You trade off. Let your wife go. Let your wife or husband have, have that time with the Lord. Babysit the kids. Do whatever you have to do. Let them get out and be with the Lord but I commend to you the practice of solitude to help you form Christ in your life, and it is temporary. Number five, this is kind of the opposite of solitude. Both of this is the mainstay, gathering with God's people. So getting alone with God, and then this is another spiritual discipline. It's actually commanded in the scriptures, gathering with God's people, what we call corporate worship. Failing to be actively involved in a healthy local church severely impedes your growth in godliness. I say a healthy local church because you can be involved in an unhealthy local church and it also can impede your growth in godliness. Um, But failure to be involved in a healthy local church severely impedes your growth in godliness. It's like trying to run a marathon with one leg. Can you do it? Yeah, you could. You could do it. I challenge one of you, go do it. Tell me how it was. You could run a marathon with one leg, or perhaps it's like eating bacon for every meal. Some of you are like, that sounds fantastic. (laughs) And surely it would taste very good, and you would be very unhealthy. Or it's like training at the gym, lifting weights, but never training legs. So it is with the local church. Involvement and connection to a local body of believers is not optional for the Christian. Hear this, it is essential. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. I want you to think of this You're going to hear a very famous passage of Scripture, but think about the connection of what he's saying. Think about the connection. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here it is. You know this part. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we all know not neglecting the coming together, as is the habit of some. But think about this connection here. Let's read verse 24 and 25 again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging. Here's the idea. Those who forsake regular fellowship and participation in the body of Christ will eventually grow cold in their love for other believers and grow weary of doing good works. Those who regularly, I've seen this many times, those who regularly forsake attending and fellowship with the body of Christ will find their hearts grow cold for other believers, and that you grow weary in doing good works. That's the implication here. 
I see it again and again. So-and-so, John Doe. Sorry, John, if you're here. John Duncan. Sam Doe. I don't know. John Doe. It's better. John Doe comes to church. He's on fire for the Lord in the beginning. Time passes, the newness of things wear off, the honeymoon wears off. He used to go to Sunday school regularly or small groups consistently. He starts to see that people actually are sinful, grows maybe a little judgmental, a little harsh, a little critical, stops, begins to withdraw slowly for good reasons. I was busy, I was sick, I had other things come up. The, the misses become more frequent, more consistent than his presence. His heart begins to grow increasingly harsh or critical or cold towards other believers. The things of God, the scriptures, become less and less appealing as they once did. Perhaps they're busy serving and doing good things, but it's only a matter of time before that as well becomes burdensome and weary. It is a discipline that we all need to daily, regularly engage in fellowship with the body of Christ. I do not mean attendance at church. I mean more than that. Come early, stay late, get to know these believers, get involved in a small group where you can be known and where you can know others. It is rough, it is bumpy, it's not neatly tied with a bow and a package but it is God's ordained means to make you more like Jesus and to help you love him more. So I encourage you, be diligent in fellowship with the body of Christ for encouragement and for perseverance and for burden bearing. We spoke about the ordinances already last week with baptism and the Lord's Supper. But all of these things, fellowship, hearing the preaching of God's word, actively receiving and responding to God's word, all of this together cultivates trusted relationships where much-needed correction can be given and humbly received. This is part of gathering with God's people. Here, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. He who hates reproof is stupid. That's what the scriptures say, not me. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 15, 32. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Being able to receive a word of correction or being given a word of correction, painful though it may be, it is one of the ways that our worldly edges are rounded out so we reflect more of the character of Christ. Let me ask you, how often does somebody give us a word of correction? They try to to move towards us in a word of correction or or reproof or rebuke, and, and how often do we make it about how the other person said it rather than about the substance of what they said? And as a result, we we reject their correction, we excuse their correction, and we fail to change. We 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 neglect, we negate a God ordained means of our conformity to Christ. Let me encourage you, if somebody is bold enough to even try to give you a word of correction, be very slow to dismiss it. Be very slow to excuse it or to be offended by it, lest you be found to be resisting the Holy Spirit himself and his work in your life. Be very slow. The flip side of this is some are far too quick to want to give correction, aren't they? Like, yes, pastor just said, people need to receive my correction. I've been waiting for this moment. Raymond, you're a bum. No. (laughs) Some of us are too quick to want to give correction and very slow to ever give encouragement or to point out evidences of grace in the lives of others. We need both. We need both. Strive to cultivate both 
in your life. All of this comes from being a part of the body of Christ. Number six, stewarding God's gifts. Stewarding God's gifts, Ephesians 5.16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Steward God's gift. Use your time well. Build margin into your schedule to do good works. Build margin into your schedule to do good works. You say, that'll help me love Jesus more? Absolutely. Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And when you serve, you will find places of growth and and areas of appreciation that you look at how God serves you and you say, I'm so unworthy. Praise God. So find areas that you can redeem time. Perhaps on your lunch break, you can write a small note or you can contact a member of your small group or you can have coffee with somebody. I recently heard about somebody in our church, one of our young members, spending time with and getting to know one of our senior members on their day off for no other discernible reason. It's not like they're, they're not related. They're, there's nothing there. They're related by the blood of Christ. That is a very, very God-honoring practice. And I commend that to you, caring for the body of Christ. And it warms my pastoral heart. So, good job. You know who you are. And those of you who do stuff like that, good job. Keep up the good work. And you will find great joy in serving others as you do this. Now, some of you serve a lot of other people, and then you fail to serve in the one area you're called to serve the most, which is in the home. Why is it so easy to serve outside the home and so difficult to serve inside of it? That's worth a sermon. Let me encourage you uh, to cultivate your love for the Lord, dying to yourself, mortifying your sin. Start serving your spouse, your family, in your day. Build margin to serve them. Don't give them leftover time. Give them primary time. So that's time. Stewardship, stewarding of God's resources. Time. That also includes other resources, houses, strength, money, and so on. In essence, the idea is that you would take inventory of all that God has given you. Think about everything you have that was given to you by God, be it little or much, you take inventory of all of that and determine how can I leverage my resources to bring glory to God and advance the gospel. Some of you, some of you may conclude, I don't have very much, Pastor. I don't have much strength. I don't have many assets. I don't have much money. I want you to remember the young child with five loaves and two fish. When you take what you have and you would offer it up to Jesus, he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, can't he? It's not about how much we have. It's about who we give it to. Give whatever you have to Christ and watch him multiply it. As it pertains to money, because this always comes up in stewardship. Before I talk about money very, very, very briefly, let me say a word to the visitor in here who maybe is visiting and you're like, see, churches are always talking about money. They're just, religion's all about money. They're always, pastors talking about money. Let me say first and foremost, uh, I have served as a pastor here for five, this is my sixth year. I have preached more than 200 sermons. Uh, Do you know how many of those sermons have been on money? I think one, maybe, maybe two, but I can't remember either of them, and I tried to find them, and I can't find them either. So, let it be said, that's not something that I care much about. I don't care about your money. I'm not interested in your money. What I am interested is what the love of money can do to your soul. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I care about your heart, and so does God. So in brief, what do we say about stewardship of money? God commands every follower of Christ to give in response to the grace they have been given. Every follower of Jesus to give in response to the grace that has been given. How much you give is between you and God, but you should give cheerfully and sacrificially. And I am very thankful as pastor of KBC how even though I've barely preached on money, you have been very generous and faithful to give. You are to be commended for that. But I do want to say there are probably some, I don't know, I don't, I don't look, there are probably some who are not giving in obedience to the Lord or giving as they should. So I encourage you, as part of your soul, give it away, give it away, examine your heart, your love of money, that shows your dependence is not on money, it is on God. In closing, I want to remember, remind you, none of these things impacts your standing with God. You are not saved on the basis of how many of the disciplines you practice. It is possible to do all of these things from a heart motivated by pride and still miss Jesus. The Pharisees did it quite well. They're not given to you as a list for you to check off so that God will be more happy with you. They're not given to you as burdens to weigh you down to do more. I offer these to you as biblical means to help you kill sin in your life, walk in the Spirit, and cultivate a greater love for God. As I said, these practices don't increase God's love for you. They will have a direct impact on your love for God. So I commend them to you for practice in 2019 until Christ is formed in you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are kind to teach us the things that are pleasing to you. Help us, we pray, to obey you in all things, that we would desire to be more like Jesus, that we would hate sin, and that we would walk in this newness of life and thereby find true and lasting joy. Father, there are some in here perhaps who have never, don't even know what it means to relate to you through Jesus at all. I pray that in them, you would stir in their hearts an awareness that you sent your son to die for sinners. And if they will repent, they will find they can have a relationship with God, directly to God through Jesus. So would you draw them this morning, and would you grant that all of us would grow more into Christ-likeness in 2019? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.